Welcome to episode 97 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are coming to you on an off day after uh, what could be described as maybe a missed opportunity loss uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays with a very familiar theme. And that familiar theme, which I feel like you and I hopefully don't harp on as much as maybe some other people, is the whole Bo Bichette defense issue. And that was a bad play that they ended up losing the game on. I don't think that's too controversial to say that. But at the same time, you know, Bo has been all right, you know, within the context of who he is. So I kind of wanted to expand the conversation out to the Blue Jays defense as a whole, because that was a big part of the promise of this team. The 2023 Blue Jays were going to be the team that had the outfield defense that just looked a little different, that was able to really help out their pitchers more. and. I think this is one where you kind of have to go by the eye test, right? Because the numbers are a little bit all over the place. Like by DRS, plus 18 runs, that's fourth in the majors. Uh, by outs above average, minus five, that's 21st. Uh, and, you know, we're not using UZR as much these days. So where do you stand on kind of the state of the Blue Jays defense at this point? Because, yeah, I mean, it's it's both a small sample and the numbers aren't as instructive as they normally are. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I don't know. I, it's fine. <laughs> it is. It's so early to to be making conclusion conclusions based on the numbers. So I think you're right about the eye test. Um, and they've been fine. Uh, I really have enjoyed watching Vlad play defense and his instincts and wishing that you know he could play every position, which would be uh, uh would be a fun thing. In that I would like to live in that world. Um, <laughs> but moving beyond you know the least important position on the defensive spectrum, um, yeah. It's, it's been fine. Uh, I don't know. You know, uh, Matt Chapman had a couple, you know, uh, routine plays maybe not made early on. And I know that was kind of a thing when we were talking about him, like, jumping out to such a big lead in the, the war uh, leaderboards, uh, how the defensive metrics weren't actually a, a part of that or were actually holding him back, like just the crazy hot start that he had with the bat. Um, you know, yeah, we can elide Bo if you want. I think, uh, uh, you know, Joe, Joe Siddle and Dan Schulman were talking on the broadcast right before it, or, you know, an hour or so before it, about how he's just kind of gone unnoticed. He's been making the plays and, you know, not making spectacular ones, but, but you know, the routine has not been uh, such a, a, a problem for him so far this year. Uh, and then he does it in a really, really high profile way in like a spot that literally loses you a game. So uh, that that's a tough one, but I'm kind of, you know, more inclined to... Uh, to take the, the the whole picture rather than just the one bad play, even though it's one that you know people will be very quick to tell you we've seen him do before. Um, yeah, I think he's fine. I think you know second base, whatever. Uh, the outfield, yeah, it, it's it's hard to gauge, right? It's hard to gauge what would have been tracked down last year versus what you know is going to be, going to be tracked down this year, uh, and how all that works. Um, so yeah, I I I I don't know. I I really don't know what to what to make of it. I I don't think I don't know if I would know what a spectacular defense looks like even sometimes. I think that's fair. I mean, there I think the thing is that there's these outlier teams, right? Like the you think of the Kansas City Royals when they were good for that really brief moment in history that's going to look mm. weirder and weirder uh, the further we get away from it. Um, and some of those Tampa Bay Rays teams, you know, that Kiermaier was a big part of. Like, his presence was actually a huge part of kind of the mystique of these teams uh, and their ability to turn batted balls into outs. And the Blue Jays were not going to be that. You know what I mean? Like, even with these improvements, even with the 
quote unquote emphasis on defense. I know, you know, I know DRS says they're the fourth best team in the league. Personally, you know, I test, I'm skeptical of that. I don't, I think that that would be high on them. Again, it's very easy to be like, hey, let's go in between these two numbers. And that seems about right. Like they're decent, but maybe not incredible. Um, and I think that that's where they are. It's just so important to remember the context of where they were before, which is in the, you know, the Teoscar. And I know that there's some stats on Teoscar being good defensively early in the year. Um, but I don't know. We can put those aside and know what he was with the Blue Jays. And Gurriel, like, you know, Gurriel is one of the worst defensive outfielders I can recall watching with any type of regularity. Like he was, he was lost out there. It was a position he (laughs) came, he came to that position, you know, later in life. You know what I mean? Like he just wasn't, he was playing weirdly out there. Like, you know, you talk about having Vlad play any position. Like it, it was similar to having Vlad going and running around in the outfield. Like it just wasn't him. I understood why they ended up putting him out there and, you know, his offense and we don't have to go down a Gurriel rabbit hole. The thing is that the outfield defense was so bad for so long. I do think there are moments when you watch this team and think, oh, okay, like that, that's getting caught by, you know, whether it's Kiermaier or Varsho, that is something that I could, you know, I could envision one of these guys they used to have in the corner or, you know, in center with Springer losing. And I, yeah, I think there's a noticeable difference in the quality of the defense of this team. Bichette, yeah, it's high profile, right? But like, I don't know. You'd have a hard time believing that defense is a clutch thing, right? Like, I don't think there are people who are like, oh, Bichette really can't play defense in the clutch. Like, that's just not, I don't know. I don't think that's a discourse that exists, right? So I don't think oh, we... Oh, uh, we'll, we'll be having it at some point. I mean, if we didn't already after the uh, the Mariners in the playoffs last year, but... I guess, but <laughs> like, I think that in the Mariners situation, it's like Bo is too aggressive and he wants to make every play. It wasn't like the moment got too big for Bo. And you know what I mean? Like, that's just not how people really tend to view defense unless you get to like Yip's level, Um, in which case you can't make any play, like let alone a big one. So I I find myself enjoying watching this team play defense. Like I think the individual players, like you say, Vladdy can be a pleasure to watch. Chapman can be a pleasure to watch. You know, Kiermaier's really delivered on expectations. Like, he may be entering his 30s now, uh, but he still runs. He still throws the ball. Like, you know, we're looking at the numbers. All of them are propped up by good stuff that Kiermaier's doing. Um, you know, Varsho's a little bit less noticeable, perhaps. But, you know, when I think of this team and kind of what was sold in terms of what made this team different, it's funny because they have, like, the exact same winning percentage as last year. So, by quality, like, it's not that different. But in terms of the priorities, it does seem like they're delivering on this so far. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is product of just how we're wired and how we look at defense. Like, you know, I think you're right about Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but also his arm really spared him a lot of criticism because he could let it fly a time, from time to time. And, and you know, uh, those outfield assists kind of, even if they maybe don't statistically, I mean, they do to an extent, uh, wipe away some of the bad roots and some of the balls that drop that shouldn't. Uh, in people's minds, it definitely changes the narrative a bit. And I think, you know, you don't see that as much with Varsho, I don't think. Um, but I am certain that there are balls that he's getting to that, that Goriel wouldn't. And, and I think it's also, you know, we are like, we are just at a point in the season where, you know, the, that stuff's going to continue to accumulate. Like, uh, you know, they're, they're counting stats, right? Like you're there, if you're plus whatever, you know, if you're plus five right now, you would expect to, you know, probably be plus five for every six week stretch of the season. So uh so that that can change how that looks because we are just so early on and uh, I, 
yeah, I, it's 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 fine. It's fine. And Bo, I will point out that I was above average uh, before last night. I probably took a little dip uh, <laughs> before uh, after that play, but uh, but he was he was right at zero. Which you know, when you're hitting the way that he is, if you can play a league average shortstop, that's great. But I uh, don't think we need to talk more about it, really. Just as a as an aside about your idea of having Vladdy play every position, <laughs> uh, just aside to do a little bit of uh, digging on that idea. So Vladdy's sprint speed is uh, this year 26.5 feet per second. That's not particularly good, but no. it is almost identical to Aaron Judge, which is 26.6 feet per second. And no one complains that Aaron Judge, I mean, you know, he's not a gold glove center fielder, but no one complains that Aaron Judge can't get around the outfield. So I think that there's a world where Vladdy can play outfield. It might, it's probably too late. You know, we missed the boat on third base. That was a nice fantasy. Uh, and I don't think they're going to move him to the outfield now. But, you know, maybe the idea isn't as amusing and silly as it seems on the, on the outside. Maybe he could have, uh, been, could have been a right shortstop. Could have been shortstop, a right fielder like his dad. <laughs> I think shortstop, great position for him. You know, the range would be an issue, but, uh, but he's the captain of the defense out there. I mean, it's just such a contrast. He's, and I think the last time that this happened with Bo, like a really high, higher profile play, I can't, it wasn't such a big deal because I can't remember it. We might remember this one for a while. Uh, there was another game where Vlad had to make a snap judgment and throw, you know, threw a guy out of the plate, just like he did in this one, uh, where it was just like, man, imagine having, you know, having Bo's range and all other, you know, amount of skills and size and whatnot, uh, but with Vlad's instincts in his arm, and that would be, that would be a heck of a defensive player, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's, it is funny to have watched the development of, and I know, you know, going from third base to first base, it's undoubtedly an easier position. But from a viewing perspective, I think it, it has improved the entertainment value of the Blue Jays because he is literally a fun first baseman to watch defensively, which is a virtually non-existent thing in the game. And you know, I guess maybe because he was younger, because third base kind of pressed the you know his lateral movement, it kind of challenged the edges of that component of his athletic ability. And so all this other stuff that we see now um didn't really shine through in the same way you know it, it didn't look like he was having fun out there at times he was really struggling and there were times when we've thought about like what if he went back there and now we're too far down the road and maybe he might have been able to be effective but it is um it's good i think that we get to see this now where the the narrative with him when he came into the league was just all about negative when it came to defense and now you're looking at a gold glove guy who were actively praising his defensive instincts yeah absolutely it's uh it's been good the other thing that this team, the 2023 Blue Jays, was supposed to be different than the other versions due to was the left-handed bats. And for most of the season, that's been kind of iffy, right? Like we how many yeah. belt has washed conversations we had on this podcast and we you know, we're going to we're going to walk down that road again uh in this in this conversation as well in terms of where we're at with Belt um just because he's been a bit of a lightning rod, but you know, Varsho had a little stretch there, and I think it was me arguably a little bit underreported just how much he was struggling because he had gotten off to the good start and people sort of anchored to that. But he had a real stretch there where he wasn't doing anything with the bat. Um, and now, you know, since we last recorded the podcast, Belt, Kiermaier, and Varsho uh, are three of the four top Blue Jays by war in terms of position players. And they've combined for 375, 446, 661 line. So this idea of, okay, the Blue Jays finally have some of these left-handed bats to balance things out, 
has you know it hasn't been a vision that's been realized for much of the year and i'm not saying that you know these guys are the best left-handed bats you could possibly have but for a little stretch here even a stretch that's been pretty uneven for the blue jays kind of as a team overall we are seeing that vision come to light a little bit so what are you seeing with these guys the belt the var show i mean kiermaier it's easy to dismiss but you know there's a little bit of stuff going on there as well this is true. I mean, I don't think that I can take my, you know, which I'm, I'm still gripping my Whit Merrifield stance. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I could be too complimentary to Kiermaier, given uh, the should have given Merrifield. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Kiermaier is a tremendously productive hitter. He can be a very, very useful guy. Um, happy to see him and Wit doing what they're doing and uh, proving me wrong. Man, love, love being wrong on, on things where it, it's, it's better for the team. But, um, but yeah, with Belt and Varsho, um, it's still real early to say. Obviously, I mean, we think about even just in terms of you know what is six weeks into the season, but but Belt's a part time guy. Um, we're we're literally seeing it in like the variation, the wide vari- variances between like where if he has a couple bad games, everything kind of starts to look bad again, and, and it's uh, uh, you know. But you have to be happy with the production. You have to be happy with the the bat speed. I think I noted in a piece this week like his, uh, you know, he's he's connecting he's getting the he's getting the bat on or more you know higher velocity pitches uh since the start of may or since you know the start of the pittsburgh series or whatever it was uh that he had been earlier uh you know everything is just pointing in the right direction and whether that continues to point that way and whether he takes off from here and is, is the kind of guy that he can be and i think if you take those first few games which is the game we've been playing all season uh you know, the line looks pretty okay. You know, the strikeouts are still high, but everything else looks pretty good if you take out those first six where he just, you know, was striking out constantly. Um, but, you know, that's the, 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 we're still at the stage where that's dicey to do and think that you're, you know, doing, doing sound math. So, uh, you know, cautious optimism there. Varsha was, uh, is, is real interesting. Um, you know, as we say all the time on here, Clearly, the Blue Jays don't think that he's a platoon guy. I mean, maybe John Schneider does based on some of the substitutions uh, uh, we saw in Philadelphia, but uh, or at least one of them. Um, but but you know, uh, from the right side or against sorry against uh, against right-handed pitching, uh, it's it's really turned around for him. The leg kick has been you know much talked about, uh, and if that works, then uh, then, uh, then it works. And and uh, we've seen last year, even though the numbers weren't over you know across the board very impressive, I think his splits. Uh, you know, against right-handed pitching versus left-handed pitching, where where you know he was in the 120 era. I don't think he was 130, but like in terms of weighted runs created plus, uh, all his home runs from the uh, against right-handers. Um, and if that gets going, he can be a really really good hitter, especially if there's a little bit more in that bat. Uh, I think we would have all preferred <laughs> Ross Hackens, I think chief among us, um, him to really hit the ground running a little bit more. Uh, it's been a bit of a battle, and he's been obviously had to tinker a bit. Um, but yeah, that's been really encouraging too. Yeah, Varsho's interesting because I remember writing about his struggles and how it seemed like, okay, this is a guy who loves to take big cuts and he strikes out a ton, but you know he, he was close to 30 home runs la- uh, last year and he kind of projected for potentially even more than that this year. And it seemed like he was, you know, he was making contact, but he wasn't driving the ball and there's a really low quality contact. And now in sort of the last stretch, since the beginning of May, you know, he's got a 184 WRC plus. And he's got the power. He's got three home runs. He's got three doubles in that time. But he's also not striking out, you know, 13.2% strikeout rate. Now, this is a small sample. We're talking Mm -hmm. about a week and a bit. But for a guy who strikes out normally twice that much, even a short stretch where he is both not striking out and hitting for power, like that's not 
that's not a common set of circumstances for him. And like you said, there's been some you know, some tweaks and some mechanical stuff that he's clearly experimenting with. And that, yeah, that's interesting to me. I think if anything, uh, you know, his slumping might have been under looked at, and now his his the way he's exploding a little bit is uh, is really encouraging for what he can be going forward. And still, he's a tough guy to parse because he likes to you know he likes to bunt sometimes. His average exit velocity is never particularly good because he seems to make some of that like really goofy contact and he can look silly when he's a little bit off. But the contact quality has improved by such a, an extent in the last little bit. I think the Blue Jays have to be encouraged with him and because he's the one at this point, it seems pretty clear. Like, as, And I, I find myself quasi-optimistic about some of the things Belt is doing, but at the, at the beginning of the year, you know, you and I talked about it. I think our consensus was that Belt was going to be the guy you wanted to be the middle of the lineup thumper, and hopefully he was the 2020, 2021 guy. But at this point, it seems pretty safe to assume that if you're going to put your hopes in one of them, it's got to be Varsho, no? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's May 11th, May 12th tomorrow when this probably, well, when people are listening to this. Uh, I don't know. It's been good. It's been a good few weeks, or it's been a good 10, 11 days. Um, I, I do think the belt struggles have obviously uh, eroded some of what, have, what may have been misplaced confidence in him uh, coming into the season. Um, but I don't know. There's, I think there's just still a lot of time to waver, and I, I, I like if nothing wanna, more than wavering. You, yeah, maintain the right to waver. That's fine. <laughs> I I'd say that Varsho is the horse I would put my money behind at this point. Like, if you look at Belt, and again, everyone is everyone wants to cut off those first few games, pretend they didn't happen. I'll do that too, just for the sake of argument. So, if we take Belt from when the Blue Jays returned to Toronto and he got his favorite chicken tenders, he's got a 154 WRC+. That sounds really, really good. You know, he's hitting 296, 387, 519. The BABIP on that is a is a solid 467. <laughs> so, you know, he he's actually, you know, if you go to his baseball savant page, he's pretty good on the, like, the average exit velocity is not so bad anymore. And he's hitting the ball hard at a decent rate. What you're getting with Belt is a lot of kind of decent contact. And I say a lot, I mean, when he, he's, it's not a lot of contact in general. But when there is contact... A lot of it is sort of pretty good contact. Um, but, the, you know, we talked about the max exit velocity with him. It's never super high, but, you know, it's at 106.6. Um, it, you'd want to see it go higher than that. Mm. For Ke- sure. Kevin Biggio hit a ball harder than that uh, in the Philly series. So, Yeah, you know, he's still, he's got a <laughs> expected batting average in the bottom 1% of the league. You know, like this is this kind of, kind of stuff we're dealing with. The strikeout rate, you know, even recently, he struck out at least once. In the last eight consecutive games, he's only had a few games all year without a strikeout. Like there, I don't know. I just see that there's quite a bit more red flags with him than I have with Varsha. Now, I, I think you're right about the fastballs. That's important because even when Belt was hitting super, super well, like he was doing a ton of his damage on breaking balls, on off-speed pitches. Like he was targeting hunting those pitches and making pitchers pay for those mistakes and that was what was making him great as opposed to mashing fastballs and so when he is hitting fastballs you have to like what you're seeing from him but i don't know like the the flip side of that is maybe this is the old man thing where he's starting early and hunting fastballs 
to make sure he catches up with them because he's been brutal against all the other pitches, and those are the ones he normally hits well. Perhaps Zach Wheeler might uh, might disagree. Um <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to propose a gimmick where we where we check in on their weighted runs created plus from uh, from this day forward uh, throughout the season. Uh, I mean. Wager on it, but uh, but you know, I don't know. I I would I would be perfectly happy to 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 say, despite your you're absolutely right, putting pointing out the red flags that uh, that it, it it I'm happy to bat on belt. Uh, I think that's maybe more just that I'm not quite sold yet on on Varsho not uh, dropping back to reality. I think that the the theoretical ceiling with Belt is higher, but you have to believe in stuff we really haven't seen yet, and that's fine well, because that's I it's believe. only May it's May it's only May 11th. <laughs> it's only May 11th. Sometimes things will happen that we haven't seen by May 11th, as you point out. But it takes it takes an extra level of belief that I'm not quite there with yet. All right, fair. In terms of Kiermaier, who is really the third wheel to this conversation, I think it's pretty clear. Like, I think it's, it's smart you make the comparison to Whit Merrifield, right? Like when guys are, have no power whatsoever and they're putting the ball in play a lot and good things are happening for them, it's hard to get too high or too low about that because it's just, you know... It, we saw it with Santiago Espinal, for instance, in the past, right? Like, this is a guy who doesn't strike out, puts everything in play with no authority uh, on the hits whatsoever. And sometimes he just has a run that looks really nice. And everyone says, that's the type of player the Blue Jays need. Someone who's always putting <laughs> the ball in play. Yeah. Um, and then you have a time where that's happening and there's absolutely nothing going on. And it's kind of like, to make that profile work, you kind of need the Alejandro Kirk million walk things to supplement it to make it actually good. That being said, uh, I want to give Kiermaier a little bit of credit here because he's got a strikeout rate under 20% right now. And he's been, you know, 21.7 or over since 2017 every season. And normally a lot more than that. Like last year was at 27.6. So he's making some, you know, if your whole thing is to make a lot of contact, making contact more frequently uh, is a good way to get the most out of that profile. And he's also, you know, he's hitting fastballs pretty well. He's slugging about 600. He's slugging exactly 600, in fact, on fastballs with a plus six run value. That's all fastballs, four seamers, sinkers, and cutters. And I like to see that whenever we're dealing with guys who are kind of creeping into their mid-30s because I like to see uh players not look washed against velocity and he hasn't done that so i just i want to give those two notes that you know i don't think kevin kiermeyer's in for a above average offensive season maybe he could crawl slightly over that bar based on his early work and a little luck but he has done he's exceeded expectations in a way that goes beyond just a couple balls falling in i think yeah, no, I think that's that's completely correct. Uh, you know, who wouldn't want to play in Toronto instead of Tampa? Um, <laughs> not, but but yeah, I mean, it's just everything he can do from an offensive standpoint is is gravy beyond you know not being like sub replacement level. Like the, the the bar was low and he is sailing over them. And um, the way to, you're looking at it, I think, is is the way that it should be looked at, which is that yeah, if you get to the end of the year, it, it could regress from here. It probably will based on track record. Um, but based on what he's done so far, you know, he's he's been really valuable at the plate, which is just not what we expected and uh and can absolutely get away with 
uh, with him going, you know, taking a bit of a dip, especially if, as we both seem to think, uh, <laughs> separately, uh, Varsho and Belter are coming around as well. Yeah, I think, you know, the regression monster is going to happen with him at some point. I mean, he even talked to, I think it was in a Caitlin McGrath piece where he said there are going to be times where it looks like I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never swung a bat before. Um, and I like that level of self-awareness with him. But, you know, he's already put one war on the board. We talk about value, like defensive value and total value stats being counting stats. Like, I guess he could wipe that off the board by being brutal, but <laughs> yeah. he's got, you know, he's got a nice defensive floor here, right? So, you know, there's a pretty good chance that this contract is going to yield two plus war at this point. I don't think that's unreasonable to say that if he gets the amount of playing time he gets and he keeps playing defense the way he's playing it, you know, we know his sprint speed and his arm strength, it's all looking good. I Yeah, I think that the chances at this point if you had to guess, are the Blue Jays going to get good value on this contract and get, you know, approximately starter level value from a position where it looked like they were punting a little bit when they signed him? Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good outcome, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, um, a, a signing that I panned and I believe you panned and, uh, and you know, in, in, it made, made some sense in, in many different ways, but, you know, ultimately... Definitely thought, you know, well, you get Varsha. What do you need Kiermaier for? But uh, but I guess based on our first two exercises here, uh, it's working all right. Yeah. Why not have both, apparently? And then, in theory, that <laughs> means George Springer doesn't have to cover any ground. But uh, I don't know. You know, the Springer thing, we don't have to go deep into that. I did a whole uh, thing I, 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 I on read Springer a bit today. That, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a little little concerned with some of the trends there. And he's also he has bad defensive numbers so far, where you'd think he would have better ones playing in right. But again, it's just it's so early for defensive individual level defensive numbers. I'm not. I think it would be it'd be unfair to say, oh, Springer looks like he can't play outfield and right just because he's had 35 bad games out there, according to outs above average. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. Hey, the the max exit velocity looks good, so. I'll, 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 I'll hang my hat on that for at least another couple of weeks. Yeah, he did hit that one ball real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, I like sort better of... Better than hitting zero balls real good. Yeah, it's, it's true. That's what Belt was yeah. not very long ago. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> well, I'll I'll save my uh, bullets on George Springer's bat, but you guys can go read that at Sportsnet if you want to feel a bit glum about where that's headed. But you can also just write <laughs> yeah, it you, off. You might, you might, yeah. You can also just write it off because of the one good ball he hit and the fact he's feeling the sniffles. Um, that's right. Okay, in terms of, we were talking about Kevin Kiermaier and sort of the inevitable regression that will probably come to his offensive numbers. One area where I see a lot of regression potential right now is with this rotation. And there's been a lot of, you know, we we know about Manoa and the struggles he's had this year. And that's honestly a conversation I don't really want to have again on this edition of the podcast. Not because it isn't ongoing, but I just don't think anything new has really happened. Like the velocity is still not there and the break on a slider is still not there. And the results um, are kind of according to that. But as an overall, I think there's a lot of positive sort of press about the Blue Jays rotation right now. Like, oh, look at Kikuchi. Look at uh, Barrios, like giving them better innings than last time. Look at Gosman, you know, Gosman throwing 96 mile an hour average on his fastball in his last start. 
you know, even Bassett after a couple of really rough uh, beginning starts seeming to come around. But when I look at this uh, group, I'm seeing a lot of hard contact here. So, you know, you got Manoa with the 483 ERA and then the 635 expected ERA. That's the exact opposite of uh, the traditional Manoa thing where he doesn't allow any hard contact. Bass has got the 428 ERA and the 519 XERA. And then Kikuchi is is the sad one for me just because it's so fun to believe. And you say Kikuchi is like a top-end starter in terms of production. But he's got the 335 ERA and the 479 expected ERA. Which of these guys is feeling the scariest for you in terms of potential future results? Um. Well, <laughs> did you include Brios in that one? I didn't because his like his ERA and expected ERA actually lean, line up well because his ERA is quite bloated compared to his FIP. You know what I mean? So like his. His strikeouts and walks are really good, but he's given up runs. But the contact says he should be giving up those runs, even though it's weird that he's given up those runs because he's striking out guys and not walking anyone. If that if that yeah, makes sense. I believe that it does. Um you know like Manoa is Manoa is a very confounding thing. I know you don't want to talk about the slider stuff. Um, but he scares me right now. I I kinda like I would I would wager that if we Caught out a couple early starts from Bassett. That probably lines up better. I don't know. That's just uh, that's just a hunch. I haven't checked it out, but um, you know he I, he's looked really good. I, I I don't entirely know how he does it because it feels like he does it with a different mix every game and and it's sort of all over the place. But uh, I'm happy to uh, uh, to just watch him do his thing. It's a little you know Ryu did did that kind of stuff a little bit himself, um, and you know he is a veteran who has has. You know, I think credibility in terms of being able to uh, do things the way that he does, even if it's not overpowering and if it's, you know, just a lot of different looks, uh, you know, stripling-esque. Uh, Kikuchi is really interesting. Um, I'm, I I know that you're a little bit scared of what's going to, you know, the regression monster coming on there. Um, the strikeouts are uh, being low is wild. Um but he's he's doing a little bit, and this is, I mean, this is too easy, but he's doing a little bit of the Robbie Ray thing where it's like, all right, yeah, there's going to be hard contact, but as long as there's nobody on base, uh, you know, we'll, we can take that damage. If you're, if you're not walking, guys, uh, you can give up the home runs, which, you know, that hard contact can stay in the park too, obviously. But, because, um, like, I was looking at it yesterday, uh, and his, uh, like, the way that he's used his changeup is crazy. He's using it when he's... Uh, when he's behind and counts a lot, he's just throwing it for strikes, which is, you know, I mean, when he, you know, when he has a chance to put a guy away, he can, he does that sometimes, but, it, but, it, and it, it made me theorize that, you know, that that's maybe, that maybe what's going on is that, uh, they're, they're like, okay, hard contact's going to happen anyway. How do we minimize it? And if it means getting rid of some strikeouts, uh, just to keep him on the plate a little bit better, maybe that's a trade off that we think is worth happening. And, you know, uh that that's that's a theory <laughs> i don't know how long that would actually last in terms of being successful at the big league level you know if you're uh i mean alec Manoa is showing us uh the margin for error is thin if you're you're if your mo is sort of uh weak contact and, and not a lot of strikeouts and, and there's you know reason for that <laughs> i think that's been borne out over decades of uh, major league baseball but uh but yeah i, I don't know if i'm as scared as i should be of uh, what we're seeing with Kikuchi's strikeout numbers because the walks are down with it. If the walks come back up, then yeah, he's he's cooked. He's he's terrible. <laughs> but if he can keep finding the zone, and I also theorized you know, in the piece that I wrote the other day about it, which or, or that it was included in, 
that and this is something we heard a little bit last year and i don't know you know i'm not out there throwing major league fastballs or whatever but but the the idea that 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 you know just using a pitch more often uh is going to help him you know just be a little more fine with it be able to find the command better uh and i wonder if you know he's really up change up usage especially compared to earlier in his his career uh, and throwing it for strikes and maybe just being able to do that and having you know more reliable weapons to keep the ball in the zone even if it's like well uh you know if it doesn't tunnel well or if it does or, or if, if they're if they're on the changeup, you're you're in trouble if you're throwing it you know middle middle uh which is not really what he had been doing before um you know maybe it just allows him to be more comfortable being in the zone uh and we've certainly seen that with the fastball has been been more regularly in the zone as well this year uh and that that just feels like that's a good place for him to be uh it may happen that the batters figure out how to how to hit him when he's in the zone as much as he is but until that until they do uh i'm happy to watch this this play out because you know i think that uh uh he is again to use the ray example like that kind of guy who can be a little bit wild in the zone and has such good stuff that if he can be in the zone and not uh, not necessarily get you know jose barrios style uh, smashed all over the ballpark. I I don't I can't say I have that level of optimism. Here, <laughs> but here's few, what few do few would. Here's what I'll say about it. I think that where my mind jumps to initially is there's no way he's going to keep walking guys at this low a rate, right? Like that's where my instincts are, right? We saw last year how his control can go. I think it's, you know, seven starts is enough of a sample. It's fair to assume he'll be better than that. But, you know, like under two per nine innings, that's elite stuff. And that seems like a big ask for Brios, uh, for, not for Brios, for Kikuchi. So my initial instinct is to say, okay, he's not going to walk this few guys. And then the fact he's given up, you know, as many home runs uh, as he's given up walks is, is just super scary. And it's not going to work, especially when he's not striking guys out. Now, if I'm trying to be a little bit more fair to him, I think it's also reasonable to say the strikeouts are going to come up. Like, he, he's throwing the ball as hard as ever. Uh, there's just no reason to believe, in my view, that he won't strike more guys out than he has so far. Again, seven starts isn't nothing as a sample, but just we know how good the fastball can be. We know that, you know, the slider is still getting kind of a 32% whiff rate. Last year was 33. So, you know, he's kind of in the same ballpark with that. The changeup is actually not getting guys to swing and miss at all, really, when last year, you know, less than half as much as last year. I'm inclined to believe that'll come up. So I, I think the strikeouts will come back. The current version of Kikuchi, I don't think is workable. You know, like he's got the a left on base of 92%. I feel like that's doing a hell of a lot of lifting for him. If he doesn't start striking guys out, I have a hard time believing the no strikeout and lots of hard contact version works <laughs> over the long term. But I, I do think it, his strikeouts will come back. So I, the question with him is going to be if both his strikeouts and walks both tick up over the next little bit. And so just to give you an example, I'll give you one of his projections. So this is Steamer. Uh, at fan graphs. I don't know why this is the one I picked, but it's the first one that I looked at. So right now he's got a 7.88 K per nine. They say from here on out, 9.5. But his walk rate right now is 1.91 per nine. And they say from here on out, it's 3.41. 
So if they they're projecting that both of them are going to raise by significant margin, and for me, it's just going to depend which one comes on stronger. Like if he gets a big boost in strikeouts and a small boost in walks, then maybe he can keep the party going. If he gets a big boost in both, is probably an issue. And if he gets a bigger boost in walks than strikeouts, then we're in serious like you know having a hard time keeping that rotation spot spot type of trouble. And it's hard to know which way this is going to go, but it it just sucks because, like, I don't want to spend a bunch of time ranting about, I mean, you know, I wrote this in the rundown, so I do want to spend time on it, clearly. <laughs> um, but, but I don't want to be that person who's like, hey, this guy was an amazing story and he's come back and he's overcome mental hurdles he had last year and he's finally sort of realizing the potential that the Blue Jays saw. Like, there's just so much to like about Kikuchi and what's happening right now and the way his teammates respond to him that it feels i don't know like i can i can look at myself from the outside and see how not fun this is so i don't want to spend like too much time jumping down the throat of what he's done so far because it has been really fun and it has been cool to see this but it is it is just it is a scary profile right now and there's just no two ways about that <laughs> okay well a few things here first of all steamer steamer can't look into a man's heart okay <laughs> Uh, you know, so so whatever that's got to say, it doesn't that, that doesn't tell. Can me. zips look into a man's heart? <laughs> a little slightly better, um, but I mean, look, uh, Pete Walker magic. I don't know if it's whatever slop they they're using that that they hide from the umpires or what it is, but uh, Robbie Ray walks came way down. Strikers yeah, but did he not. strikes out people at like a historic rate. <laughs> Kevin Gosman, I mean, he already he wasn't a big walk guy when he got here, but the walks have come down as well. You know, they're they're they're. They've demonstrated they've demonstrated an ability to uh, to get guys to avoid these free passes a little bit, and I'm going to theorize again about Kikuchi because Lord knows I don't want to face the reality. But uh, you know, get him in the zone, get him comfortable. You know, we're a third of the way through the year almost. You know, looking good. Get him you know, just just the comfort level, throwing pitches in the zone, feeling his pitches better, not panicking on the mound, having that confidence. Then we can start, you know, pulling the string a little more, getting those, uh, getting those guys to chase. Uh, and so we'll see. My, uh, this is my theory. You can you can bank it. You can put it put it in the bank right now. Uh, the, the strikeouts will will start to rise, but the walks will stay the same. All right. Well, I mean, that's that's what <laughs> that's <laughs> that's your hard hitting analysis. <laughs> that's uh, that's what uh, just about every pitcher is hoping for. I, I will say that <laughs> his zone rate is up this year, pretty by a pretty slight margin, to be honest. But it is up. It's 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 well, it's the context of the zone rate. I think you know a lot of, a lot of three zero three one fastballs where he was just hoping to find the plate last year. Yeah, I mean, when you're watching the game, it is. Again, the bar was so low, right, that it's very easy, you know, when I talked about how it's very easy for Varsha to look better than Gurriel was out there. So even if he doesn't have incredible numbers as a defensive outfielder, it's like, oh, wow, okay, there's something going on here that looks like MLB baseball. Uh, That's kind of Kikuchi, right? Like, I think we had a friend of the show, Ben Nicholson-Smith, on a a while back when we were in the more consistent guest business. And... Mm -hmm. uh, and he is not one for for unnecessary negative statements. And I think he said that Kikuchi had sort of the command of a fastball command of a high school pitcher. And I don't think that that was too far off. So seeing him right now, at the very least, least I will concede to you that he looks like an MLB pitcher. So that that I'll go, I'll I'll meet you in the middle with that. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go a little bit off the middle again and say that, you know, zone rate, zone rate when you're ahead and zone rate when you're behind, they're, they're different animals, right? So the zone rate might not keep because he's not, if he actually gets ahead and counts, he's not going to have to throw it in the zone as much. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's definitely truth to that. Uh, I think <laughs> I mean, also, I've, I've obviously just got a gigantic Homer hat on here, but but also it's it's on. also worth noting that his first, his uh, strike one rate is lower this year than it was last year. <laughs> well, that's the confidence that he's got. Yeah, it doesn't even need to throw a strike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, that's how he get the soft contact with the first pitch swinging. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of ways to explain how Yusei Kikuchi could theoretically be good from here on out. I'd be happy to hear them. As I said, I I will say for myself, like I was always a big proponent of this signing. Like I thought his tool set was really cool. I thought based on the Blue Jays having this history of working with pitchers um, who had command issues in the past and getting them on track especially, you know, Ray being the comparison with sort of some similar stuff going on. I thought that the Blue Jays had made a very wise deal when they invested in Kikuchi. Um, so I should want to see him succeed based on my desire to be right. But uh, I've been I've been pretty wrong to this point, and uh, I anticipate continuing <laughs> to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I Obviously, yeah, I was very on board. Though there was, there was one thing. That did make me raise an eyebrow, which is uh, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs, I think, did his top 50 free agents that year. Because uh, Kikuchi, well, he opted, he, he had an opt-out that he used. I forget exactly the contract machinations there. Uh, and Zaborski was like, didn't have him on the top 50, but had a blurb about him anyway, which was basically, uh, he's probably going to go back to Japan because I don't know why he opted out of that that deal because nobody's going to give him that much money. That would be insane. And then the Jays guaranteed three years. That kind of like... You know, the, the a little bit of a, a little bit of a sensation went up there uh, when I read when I read that back after the deal. But uh, yeah, I mean, they gave know, him tried to tried to ignore that as much as I possibly could. They basically gave him the Kendry's Morales contract, uh, which uh, didn't great precedent. didn't yeah. didn't work out great. <laughs> and then there's you know the history of them, the belt pursuit, and how that it seemed like they might have been the only people who were interested in him at that type of price. So. Uh, there, there's a little bit of a track record of potentially misreading some markets out there. And maybe the Kikuchi contract is not the most team-friendly. But you know what? Uh, I'm a player-first guy, so I'm glad that you say God is money. Yeah. All right. Before Now, now he's, now he's got to earn it, though. <laughs> before we get out of here, quick look at what's happening this weekend. We got the Braves coming to town. The Blue Jays are at home at long last, which... Again, part of the fact the fact that they've been on the road for so long and so many of the games this season, I think, plays into their I don't know if you want to call it a middling start, but you know they're twelve and thirteen on the road. They're nine and three at home. So if they can keep playing like that at home, they could move up to maybe third in the AL East. Uh, I mean, it it, it occurs yeah. to me, you know, that twelve plus thirteen is a larger number than nine plus three. Uh, it's twi- uh, It's more than twice as large. <laughs> in fact, I feel that might be correct. I don't have a calculator on me. Yeah, so you got the Braves. Here's the bad news about the Braves if you're a Blue Jays fan. They're really good. Uh, the Braves are 25-12 and 12 right now. Uh, speaking of home and away, they have a 15-3 and three away record, uh, which is kind of wild early in the year. Obviously, that's just like small sample size weirdness. But we're going to see 
Spencer Strider come through, who I, he has the nickname Quadzilla, which I don't know. It feels like more of a football player nickname to me than baseball player, but whatever, I'll take it. Uh, they got Bruce Elder, who we'll see, who's kind of like a fraud. I wouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> he's just he's <laughs> like right. a soft tosser with a really low ERA, but like there's no real reason to believe that'll continue. And then I mean, well, cue every Jays fan on Twitter being like, "Ooh, that's the type of player they can't hit." Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's a different team now, so what? I don't know. The Braves lineup is so good. I'll say that. Like Acuna has been incredible again. Olsen, you know, Sean Murphy, got guys like Ozzy Albies hitting sixth. Michael Harris, the second, you know, rookie of the year type guy hitting eighth. Uh, yeah, it's um, this is a tough one. I think you know they they can't they come off this series against the Phillies that is kind of a gross and difficult series, and you know they're either sweeping or getting swept, and <laughs> right now and. This is a this is a tough test for the team, and you know coming home is going to be a big thing for them. You know it's it's fun to see these type of players roll through town, even in a world where interleague play is a lot more common. I think this will be a fun one for people to get out of the ballpark with the weather being better and all that jazz. But uh, yeah, I don't think this will be a fun one necessarily for the Blue Jays players who have to deal with these guys. No, I I think you're right, uh, man. Whoever's running that team, love to have him up here at some point. That would be wild. Uh, good, good job, Atlanta front office. Whoever you are, uh, <laughs> um, you know Baltimore. I think uh, they lost two or three to the Braves just uh, on the weekend, um, but one of them was a walk off loss. So uh, you know uh, the, the Orioles. Uh, we I assume frauds also. <laughs> Maybe not Bruce Elder level fraud. <laughs> no, I wouldn't uh, say so. <laughs> they also just took two, three from the race. Um, but you know that was in Atlanta. That's uh, you know that give, that gives me hope because surely the Blue Jays uh, are better than the Baltimore Orioles at this point. Well, uh, as long as you're not listening to this in the future. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I think I could be confident. I don't think our podcasts have much value in the future, to be honest. I feel no. like they're very much of the moment. Like, I, I can't envision a scenario. And if anyone does this, I'd like, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter. But if someone who, like, <laughs> binge listens to these, like, months after the fact, I mean, it might be kind of amusing to see how wrong we are about virtually everything. But, I mean, I just, I can't envision that being a good experience. <laughs> yeah, my brain remembers how wrong I am about all the things, so. I don't need to, but but perhaps there's a masochist out there. I mean, you know, the Blue Jays absolutely demolished uh, a division-leading Pirates team, so I don't see how this would be any different uh, with the Braves coming through town. And they can absolutely they can hold on to that. Well, we will uh, see you guys again next week, approximately the same time for episode 98 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We appreciate everyone listening in. Uh, we like reviews. We like five-star ratings. Uh, less good about four-star ratings, but, you know, do what you have to do. And, uh, yeah, listen in then, and maybe the Blue Jays will have done some winning at that point. Maybe some series that aren't sweet in either direction. Sounds good to me. 